uh, what does it mean to love your spouse? And um, I'm not going to try and cover all of that this morning because that's a pretty broad subject. And as this is the Becoming One class geared towards young marrieds and young parents and families, uh, it seems to me that we are regularly exploring this topic uh, in some way anytime we're not specifically talking about parenting, <clears throat> which as far as I remember, we have not actually done in this class yet, uh, but I'm sure we will get to that at some point. Um, so it seems that we're going to probably rehash some things that we've talked about before this morning, uh, but there, we're certainly going to hit some things that may be some more challenging concepts uh, that we haven't talked about before also. And uh, as, as I mentioned, is this is such an extremely broad subject, uh, we're just going to hit a few points this morning. And as usual, I'm pulling all of my, not all of my information, I'm pulling my notes. A lot of what I'm getting from here is uh, the, the usual counseling uh, resources I go to, Jay Adams and Lou Priolo and Heath and Lauren Lambert and Jim Neuheiser, if we get to that. Um, but um, we're going to talk about, we've, we've mentioned this before, but we're going to cover it a little bit more this morning, and feelings versus obedience. Uh, we're going to hit 1 Corinthians 13, which I feel like we do every week, but I feel like we can do every week and, and, not, and, not, and not, not profit from that. Um, we're talking about a couple aspects of, of love in our marriages that I think are necessary and useful. And then um, maybe talk about some resources at the end that we want to stay away from or some ideas that we want to stay away from. We'll see if we have time for that. Um, and hopefully some practical things on how to cultivate our love for our spouse and our marriages too. So uh, talking about feelings, God doesn't command us to have certain feelings. If you, you, you pay attention to God's commands and the, what the Scripture tells us, and it doesn't tell, tell us to feel a certain way. Um, we're going to develop certain feelings as we are caring for one another, as we're loving our spouses, we're caring for those in the body and loving those in the body. Uh, but we're not commanded uh, to have certain feelings. He commands us to act and to do things. Uh, we're commanded to love but loving is what we do, as we've talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 several times. Um, but what we do are the, the commands of loving, the, the things that we actually do that, that are loving things to do. And feelings, um, you know, feelings have consequences, or, or they are consequences. They're not, they're not actions in themselves. They are generally unintentional. We don't really drum up a feeling. We don't create feelings in ourselves. Um, of course, actions can be both intentional and unintentional. Um, of course, if we're doing something in obedience to God's Word, that would be an intentional action, right? So we're going to be thoughtful about the things that we're doing as we're obeying. We don't just accidentally uh, obey Scripture. I mean, I suppose it, it could happen, but it's not likely to happen because it's not in us to do that. It's not our, our natural bent. J. Adams says, true love is always under control as opposed to feelings which are not. We can't create a feeling just by wanting to create a feeling. We don't just drum up a feeling, for, uh, some kind of feeling. It's, it's not something that just that we, we think about and do like we would actions. We develop a loving feeling toward other people as we are doing acts of giving ourselves to that other person. Adam says, when you invest yourself in another, you begin to feel differently toward him or her. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
And we know that's true, that when we, when we actually serve somebody else, when we, we've, we've talked about this before, and that the feelings very often follow our actions. So if we choose to be loving, if we choose to be kind, if we choose to be patient with somebody, we're going to feel those things as they follow our actions. But we don't wait to do those things until we feel it because in our flesh, we're going to be selfish. We're not going to pursue those things. Feelings are completely undependable. They change regularly, and they're affected by so many factors and influences. Our, our feelings change based on what we see or what somebody says to us or, or how our spouse acts towards us, and we read into that and we feel a certain way. <clears throat> so we have to be on guard about the influences that we allow to affect us and to influence us. And we need to be intentional about that. We need to be intentional about guarding those influences. What are those things that are going to affect our feelings? Now, Ron, I think, has expressed in, in a recent Sunday school, it seems like he said, that feelings should never lead. So we can't allow our feelings to drive what we do. We can't uh, be ruled and directed by our feelings. We must be ruled and led by obedience to God's Word. So as we consider God's Word and as we are examining ourselves, as we're actually working out the details of how we're going to work out God's Word in our life and to act in obedience to that, um, we need to be thoughtful about those things. We can't just wait for it to happen because we feel like it. And we often act in unloving ways unintentionally. As I said, that's our flesh to do that. Out of, our, out of habit, that's the working out of our fleshly desires, our selfishness. We, we're going to uh, act in unloving ways. And we don't have to work at that very much. We don't have to be very intentional. It's going to happen if we're not paying attention to the fact that we want to stop doing those things, that we want to do what is right in obedience to God's Word. Now, with the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, we should be convicted of those things. We should want to change. We should be wanting to please God in the things that we do. But acting in unloving ways comes naturally, and selfishness is a good uh, yet incomplete way to describe sinfulness. When we think about sin, what, what is sin? It's disobedience to God's law, right? It's disobedience. It's, it's not pleasing Him. It's going against His will. Uh, but we naturally do that in our selfishness. In, in trying to please ourselves. we are not trying to please God. And so we fall into, or we, that is the, the result of that is going to be sin. And so thinking that through, am I being selfish? In, and how am I being selfish? And, and in what areas of my marriage or what areas of my life and my interactions with her, am I selfish? And that's going to lead us back to where we're not pleasing God and where we're sinning. We need to discipline ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit to act and respond in loving ways. We don't naturally act loving. We need to discipline ourselves. We need to train ourselves in doing that. And we know where to find in Scripture, hopefully, what it means to love someone, anyone. It's not just our spouse. But we know where to find some description, some description of how we are to love. At least I would hope you know that by now, as we've mentioned it several times in this class. And if you've been at Grace for more than a little while, you probably have heard this. But we've talked about it before, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a. And I'm going to read it again. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. 
does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the beginning of verse 8, love never fails. And this isn't the complete definition of love. We go back to this a lot because, it's a, as I said before, this is a really nice list. I love that God has put lots of lists in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. We can look and see, these are sinful actions, these are godly thoughts and actions, right? We can, we can think, these are the thoughts we're not supposed to have, and we have a list of, these are the thoughts we're supposed to have. These are the things we're supposed to dwell on. And here in 1 Corinthians, we have this nice list of, when you're doing these things, these are being loving. These are loving things to do. This is, this is the way to live out love towards others. Now, there are other places in Scripture that, that add to this, but this is a good list to work off of. And I would, I would say that probably none of us can look at that list and go, well, I got this list down. Where are the rest of them? Where are the rest of the things I need to learn? Because this is no problem. I got this down. None of us are going to be able to say that. So we, we always have something to start with here. So we've said it before that love is a verb. It's action. It's doing. It's a command to do. We're commanded to love. That means we're commanded to do things. We're doing. We're to, commanded to act, not to feel. Loving, love is often described as a feeling, but in Scripture, we're commanded to love in a very practical way, to love actively. Love is actually putting into action these actions and attitudes of 1 Corinthians, among other things in Scripture. So we have other places we can find things. But we're commanded to be loving by being patient, being kind, not being jealous, not bragging, not arrogant, those things that are in 1 Corinthians 13 that I just read. But we don't just expect these things to come out of us when we are in love or are feeling loving already. These aren't descriptions of what happens when we're feeling love. When, we are be, when we're in love, we're not going to... This isn't describing what's going to happen when we are already feeling love, and that's, how we're, that's not what we're looking at here. We don't just recognize love by looking at these things. We don't look at somebody and say, well, they're patient, or my spouse is being patient, they're being kind, they're being... We can recognize love, but that's not, that's not all of it. So we don't just recognize love by these things, we love by doing these things. So the, the point I'm trying to get here is that we often read this list, we say love is patient, love is kind, as if love is this thing, and it is patient, it is kind. And if you happen to have love, then you're going to be doing these things. Well, that's true, but we're commanded to do these things. These are things that we are actively supposed to be looking at and saying, how can I love in these ways? And how am I not loving in ways that are contrary to this? How am I not being patient? How am I not being kind? How am I being jealous or bragging or being arrogant? How am I, how am I not believing all things in my spouse or hoping all things? How am I not enduring all? How am I not suffering through the, the things that are difficult? So we need to be considering in examining ourselves, are we actually living these out? And if not, how do we change? It needs to be intentional, and it needs to be deliberate. And I would say that that's a tough thing that a lot of us don't do. Or I should say, 
probably most of us don't do consistently, is examine ourselves and measure ourselves up against this scripture or other scripture and say, am I actually doing that and where am I not doing it? Which would go back to the spiritual disciplines, which we've talked about before, and making that a priority, making it a thing that we say, okay, this is important, I need to get this on the calendar and I need to make it happen because it's important enough that that should be happening. It's my pursuit of my relationship with God and my pursuit of trying to please Him and to reflect Him to the people I come in contact with. Most importantly, our spouse and then our kids. Now, most of media advertising in our popular culture is going to impress upon us that love just happens, right? That's what we see. They fell in love, right? They, they, love just happened. All of a sudden, they saw this person and they were just madly in love you know, love at first sight or whatever. That's what the advertising in popular culture is going to tell us. It's not action and it doesn't require work. It just happens. It's not developed. It's, not, it's certainly not something that we think about because it's just an emotion that overcomes us. Like we fell in love. It's all of a sudden happening. And it's completely not something that we will to do. It's not something of our will at all that we choose that we're going to love this person. We choose that we're going to act loving. We're going to sacrifice for this person. We're going to enact all these things in 1 Corinthians 13. But with that mindset of being, of falling in love, that love is something that just happens, well, with that mindset, is it any surprise that when, what a person believes to be love, if they believe that's what love is, and that just stops happening to them in a marriage, is it any surprise that a husband would start to take an interest in a woman he works with, or that a wife would take an interest in a neighbor. I mean, if in her marriage or in his marriage, he's not feeling like love is happening, well, if that's his mentality, if that's what love should be, is it should be we have this natural affection and feeling towards each other. If, that doesn't, if that's not feeling it, at the, if they're not feeling it at the moment, is it any surprise that they would be looking around or maybe having that feeling about somebody else? And that, that they're just falling in love with that person. This mindset is completely one of getting and not giving and serving. If and as a person regularly takes in this type of media culture, which pushes this sort of user mentality of quote-unquote love, he or she is influenced to believe that this selfish view of love is reality. So the more we are taking that in in advertising or media or whatever... And I'm not, this isn't the lesson about, you know, cut off all your media. That's not the point. The point is, is that as we take all that stuff in and we're not careful about it, we can be, we can be influenced that way to think, oh, this is how life works. This is how the world goes. Oh, that looks like fun, whatever. And we lose our thoughtfulness about these things. Now, I would guess that as much of you are being thoughtful about loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving the people in this church, loving your neighbors, that you would know that love is serving and love is self-forgetting. Love is work. It's not easy. Love is work. We think about doing all these things at first, being patient and being kind. It's not easy to do those things a lot of the time. However, the influences that would tell us otherwise are sneaky. Those the media and the advertising. Those things sometimes, or even, um, you know, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us that 
Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It doesn't come in oftentimes as blatantly, this is what you shouldn't be paying attention to. It'll come in secretly. It'll come in in a sneaky way. Even resources that are labeled as Christian sometimes present a selfish view of love. So we need to be discerning about the resources and the inputs that we are taking in. Jay Adams says, love is giving, giving of oneself to another. No one loves in the abstract. Feelings follow giving oneself to another. Giving is fundamental to the biblical idea of love. And love looks for opportunities to give. It asks, what can I do for another? So that's the first aspect of love that I wanted to hit this morning, is that when we're talking about um, what does it mean to love our spouse? Well, first of all, it's giving, not getting. It's offering. It's serving rather than seeking to be served or taking. Now, as we are to be holy as He is holy, and we're supposed to conform to the image of Christ, look at Ephesians 5.25. It says, Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. John 3.16, should be familiar to everybody, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Galatians 2.20, He loved me and gave Himself for me. So we see the example of God the Father and Christ the Son of giving in love. Adams also says, Love does not come naturally, it must be learned. But since it is a fruit of the Spirit, Christians may be sure that it will take the work of God's Spirit in their lives to learn to love. The Spirit works through prayerful obedience to the Scriptures. So as we obey the Scriptures, we are going to be loving. Because that doing God's will is going to be loving others. We are going to... The, the love for others is going to come out as we obey Him and as we love Him in our obedience. Adams also says, Where there is no love in the home, it is the husband's fault. The husband must love his wife as Jesus Christ loves his church. And he goes on to explain, it, it was not because the church was so loving or lovable that Jesus couldn't help but love her. We all know that's true, right? We can't, we can't look around even our church and say, well, it's not because we were, we couldn't, he couldn't help but love us, that's for sure. But rather, while we were enemies, while we were sinners, while we were rebellious, vile, and loathsome creatures in his sight, Jesus first loved us and gave his life for us. He looked on us with love in spite of it all and determined to set his love on us. So we consider that as husbands called to love our wives as Jesus Christ loves his church. Jesus didn't wait for the church to be lovely because he would still be waiting. The church is lovely because he makes it lovely. So as husbands, considering how Christ loved his church, we have no excuse to not love our wives when they're not lovely, when they're not being pleasant, when they're being difficult. Because it's only wives that are ever difficult. Husbands are never difficult. <laughs> so if love has grown cold in the family, the husband should do something about it. He must emulate the love of Jesus Christ for his church. He has the responsibility to initiate 
love. God holds the, God holds the husband responsible to introduce love. He must give his time and his interest and his money and himself to his wife and to his family. That's what husbands are called to do. Now, of course, if, if or when a husband and father commits to giving his love in his time, his interest, his money, and his presence and his influence, as I just said, as he is doing that, what's that going to mean? That's going to mean that he's going to need to consider what he won't be giving his time and his interest, his money, and his presence to. He's going, to have to make a, he's going to have to make that choice. If I'm going to choose to love my family as God would call me to do that, what am I going to put away or what am I going to put off or what am I just going to kill that's keeping me from doing that? There's not, as Chris says in sermon this morning, and maybe you know, some of you are still going, but there's not infinite time and there's not infinite energy and there's only one of us. So we have to make decisions, but there has to be a priority of ours in order to make that decision. And if we don't think it through and think through, is this a priority and why is it a priority? And do I really want to please God in this? Then we're not going to make those changes. We're not going to make those what appear to be or sound like or feel like sacrifices in order to make that happen. Now, wives and even children are not off the hook from loving also. It's not like the husband is the only one that's called to love in the home. Wives are also called to love. But they're commanded to love because they're commanded to love their neighbor as themselves. So even in the home, they are, you know, our closest neighbor is our spouse, and our next closest neighbor is our kids, right? The kids aren't sharing the bed with us, so they're a little further out on the neighbor plan. <laughs> At least I hope none of your kids are sharing your bed with you because that gets a little weird and awkward and difficult for marriage. Um, so they're not the hook because they're called to love their neighbor as themselves, regard others as more important than themselves, and all the other commands of living with one another as believers and as in a way that pleases God. However, the husband has been specifically commanded. We look at Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, the fact that he says, do not be embittered against them, should imply, or we should gather from that, that there might be a tendency for that, or that there might be maybe some reason for that to happen at some point. Ephesians 5.25 tells husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the husbands have a specific command to love their wives. Now, wives are commanded, or it says in Titus 2.4, that wives are to be trained to love their husbands and children. But in that sense, when it says love there, that, that word love is not the same overarching love that husbands are commanded to have for their families. When it says love there, it has, carries more the meaning of showing affection. So wives are commanded in that area, or they're to be trained to show affection to their husbands and to their children. Not that they aren't supposed to love them deeply as a husband does his wife, but that's not the commandment there. So giving of ourselves and husbands being particularly commanded to do this, the first couple things. But I also think that 
another big point in the 1 Corinthians 13 and what it starts off with that I think would be good to park on a little bit this morning is patience. I think that it's very easy for us to overlook our impatience as we are considering the way we love others. And, and how much of our disagreements, how much of our frustrations with others, how much of our anger that we have with others come out of our lack of patience, right? So it starts, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. And um, I think this is Lou Priola. said, the most important skill in marriage is resolving conflict. With it, a marriage can be peaceful. Without it, there'll be no lasting peace as the bricks of discord are going to be stacked into a wall which divides. Which actually, I think, I took what he said. And So if that sounded not right, it was, was me, not him. Uh, I think I just wrote that out after hearing him say something. Um, so turn to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. <clears throat> And this, this goes along with resolving conflict. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And Chris actually read, I think, 1 and 2 this morning in church. But Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So we have been called to be believers and to be Christians, little Christ, reflecting Christ, So that's what we've been called to. So we're supposed to live in a manner worthy of that calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we see there, we see some essential qualities for getting along with others, particularly with our spouse, right? We need to have humility. We've talked about that in this class. Gentleness, which I don't think we've addressed that too much, but... That should go without saying, right? We're not going to get, if we're being harsh, we're not going to get very far. Uh, so humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance to another in love. Now, when it says tolerance, what that's talking about is um, we have tolerance towards people as they are doing actions and or words that maybe aren't our preferences, so they're not necessarily sinning, but we're living with them in harmony by being tolerant of them. So it's a loving, it's a loving forbearing with them in that we are accepting of those things and we are living with them in a loving way, even though they may be doing something that maybe we don't really care for, which I'm sure never happens in any of your marriages, but I have to mention it, you know. Patience, <clears throat> patience is the ability, this is a, a, this is a quote from Lou Priolo. He was asked to define patience, and he says, Patience is the ability to accept the difficult situations from the Lord without complaining or murmuring or arguing or giving Him a time limit to remove it from our lives. So I thought that was pretty good as far as the definition of patience goes. So ability to accept the difficult situations or people, you could say, from the Lord without complaining or murmuring or arguing or giving him a time limit to remove it from our lives. Because when something difficult happens, what's the first thing we're thinking? How long is this going to last? And I can handle this, Lord, for this long, but after this we need to change. We need to do something different. 
In Scripture, we see endurance and perseverance, and those often refer to circumstances when we're talking about enduring a trial or persevering through a trial. We often see those refer to circumstances, but when we see patience, it's usually referring to other people. It's usually referring to having patience towards somebody or in the midst of a conflict with somebody or in our relationship with somebody. Now, we need to always keep in mind that our spouses are progressively being sanctified. They are not immediately being sanctified. So they're not, we can't expect them to change on our timetable or according to what we would have them to do. But that applies to us also. So we need to be mindful of the fact that we are also sinners. And that's where that humility comes in. When we start pointing at somebody else, we are completely forgetting about our own sinfulness. We talked about that in a past lesson. Now, another word for patience in the King James is long-suffering. So what, that just sounds like what it is, right? It's suffering for a long time with the right attitude. So that person's being difficult we are going to suffer through that, possibly for a long time, and do it with a right, God-honoring attitude. People change in their conformity to Christ-likeness at differing rates, and it's not up to us to expect or determine anyone to change on our timetable or our agenda. We're called to, be, to love and to be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, or which could be translated undisciplined. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So even those people that are struggling, whether they're struggling because they're undisciplined or they're faint-hearted or they're weak, we're called to be patient with everyone. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great, which also could mean or literally means all, with great patience and instruction. Husbands and fathers are commanded to wash their wives with the water of the Word, Ephesians 5, and to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6. So we read this in 2 Timothy, preach the Word, be ready in season. We, we think of that as being, you know, Apostle Paul talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and saying, preach the Word, be ready in season, be ready when it's convenient and when it's not so convenient. But as fathers, we are called to wash our wives with the water of the Word and to train up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this applies to us as well. It could very well apply to us as well as husbands and fathers. Not preaching, but teaching in the home. In season, out season, when it's convenient, when it's not, be able, be able, which means we need to be in the Word, and use the Word to reprove, rebuke, exhort, with loving, patience, and instruction. But that be able, we can only, we're only able to do it if we're in the Word. And we can't just be reading it. We need to understand what we're reading. So that may need some other resources. That may need a little bit of actual study of the Word in order to understand what it says and how to apply it in the particulars of our homes. So, Husbands, as husbands, how do you encourage your wives in knowing and applying the Word? We're called to wash our wives with the water of the Word. So how can we do that? 
Well, first off, we need to set the example of being in the Word ourselves. That's the starting point, right? If we're not doing it ourselves, then why would we expect that our wives would want to do it? Why would we expect that our kids are going to value the Word if they don't see us valuing it? If they don't see us being in it, they don't see us caring for it, if it's not a value to us, why would we think that it's going to be a value to our kids either? So how else do we communicate the value of God's Word in our homes? Of course, if our wives are busy in the home with kids early morning until after the kids are in bed and then spending time with us, because that's important too, that's a good thing, but she never has time to be in the Word, maybe it's time to help that happen. How, how can we make that happen? How can we take the kids off of her for a little while or take a chore or do something to give her some time to be in the Word if that's necessary? We see that 1 Corinthians 13, it was addressing patience here, it starts with patience and it ends with endures all things. They both carry the idea of long-suffering. So that passage, it starts with patience and it ends with enduring. It seems like this is a, you know, a special place that we need to be acting loving, is being patient and being long-suffering, enduring. So whatever that is, whatever God's Word speaks, um, let's say what aspect of being a husband, being a wife, being a mom or a dad. So this, is, this isn't just talking to dads and not just the husbands here, but... So what part of that is challenging for you to consistently do in a God-pleasing, God-honoring manner? So those things in 1 Corinthians 13, or any of the other things you know that you should be doing according to the Word, as a husband or a wife particularly, or just as a believer in your growth. What, whatever that is, whatever God's Word speaks to that, study, meditate, and memorize the passage or passages that go to speak to it. We see that as we hide God's Word in our heart, we have it available to remind us of what we're supposed to be doing. And when you memorize it, it does come to your mind when you are tempted to sin. You think of those things. You think of what you memorize. You go, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. Or wait, I am supposed to do this. So those things do come to our mind, and God has told us to hide these things in our heart. And the Holy Spirit uses those things that are hidden in our heart to remind us and to spur us to do those things that are pleasing to Him. So, just some ideas on memorizing. Use three by five cards. And I may have mentioned this before, but I don't think I brought in the example. So, <clears throat> these things are great. Three by fives on a ring binder. You know, I think I've said before in this class, you stick it over your speedometer, you don't look at it, look at it anyway, and memorize it while you drive, <laughs> right? So that's, I mean, or your, your tachometer, which nobody uses anymore, except for Chris Muntean, right? That's right. <laughs> and me. So, because we drive stick shifts. So. You got, any of you know how to drive a stick shift other than me and Chris? No. That's right, exactly. <laughs> That's probably going with that. <laughs> um, so anyway, these are great. You know, there's like 50 cards or something. So you can get 100 passages on, you know, both sides. Drive it, you get a little review, you flip to the next one, whatever. It works great. So that's a good way. Um, find or create a song. We were visiting with a couple this last couple days, and I know some of you do this also, but they were talking about how they've put a whole bunch of different scripture verses to song for their kids. But the funny thing was is that we're sitting there, and the dad is talking, they're talking about this and how cool it is that they're putting all these verses to music. And then he said, yeah, my two-year-old learned this like, it's like six or seven verses in some, like Psalm 62 or something. 
And he was like, I felt so guilty that my two-year-old knew it and I didn't and that she could just rattle it off and I was having trouble memorizing this other thing. So he just made up a little tune and was able to memorize this other passage that he had difficulty with before because he put it to a tune in his head. He just made up some dumb tune in his head. Well, I don't call it dumb because it's smarter than what I would have done. But <laughs> I can't do anything musical anyway. But he, but he came up with a little tune. He was able to remember that verse that he wasn't able to keep to memory before. You can write it on. I've heard people say they write it on the bathroom mirror. Uh, you know, put a little card there or something. Have an alarm set on your phone. We've got all kinds of technology we walk around with in our pockets all the time, right? Have an alarm set. Pops up and it gives you your verse right there. And you can review it several times a day doing that. Whatever. You guys, it's, it's for us to use our creativity in order to be obedient. God gives us principles in His Word. It's for us to figure out how to apply those things in our lives particularly. And we do that by using our own creativity and our own structure and what works for us, right? So think about that. But really, we're commanded to hide God's Word in our heart. We don't, we, I think sometimes we think that's optional. It's not. We need to know God's Word. And if that means we read it all the time so we know it, or if we're actually memorizing, but memorizing particular passages for whatever it is you need to work on in your life in order to please God more fully, that needs to happen. God has given us His will in principle form in His Word. He gave us the freedom to be creative and intentional in how to apply His Word. We're commanded to love and serve Him above all other things and people, so we need to consider as priority how to go about that. So I think that about finishes our time. Um, one, one more real quick note. Um, so in, in practical, uh, we were listening on the way home this week, we were listening to a Lupriolo Thing. And Yvonne may have been asleep during this time, I don't know. But um, <laughs> she did crash out for part of it, which actually was more of the convicting husband thing. So when she woke up, I said, yeah, you didn't say anything good to say. Um, so, um, but one thing he said is that as a, when he's counseling couples, that he gives them scripture to memorize, to keep in mind. But one thing that he does, you know, we use a lot of lists and that kind of stuff too to be considering how we're thankful for our spouses and those kind of things. But he said one of the major things that makes a big difference is he assigns them to sit down together for 20 minutes per day and just talk. And it's 20 minutes really isn't that long. But he said that makes a massive difference in every couple he's ever counseled, that he's counseled to do that. They've actually done it. It has made a huge difference. And I can see why that's true, because so much of us, so much of what we do in our lives is, you know, wife's going this way and the husband's going this way, and you've got all this stuff going on. And it's just easy to not spend that time together. And just talking things through. And if we're going to raise our kids well, and if we're going to interact well, if we're even going to talk through the sin problems that we have in our lives, we need to have some time to do that. So I would say as a priority, start figuring out if you don't have that time, if you don't feel like you have time together to actually sit down and talk. Um, I listened to a podcast. It was Heath and Lauren Lambert, and they were saying, he's like counseling guy. But his wife was saying, we have so many things that we consider 
that we have in our lives, like social media and using our phones for all kinds of stuff and watching movies or whatever, but that contributes to our feeling of busyness. We're not really as busy oftentimes as we think we are because we can be cutting out garbage that we shouldn't be spending time with it or that isn't bad, but it's just time spent and we could be using that time more effectively or just be less busy so we can spend time together. So very practical way to love our spouses. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for good resources. Thank you for... Uh, that we have people that spur us on to consider these things in our lives, to um, spell out uh, the important things of your word that we might learn from them and that we might enact them in our own lives. I pray that you would help us to be intentional about these things, that we would be mindful of the things that aren't going well, that we are not um, putting into action that we might be pleasing to you, that you would help us to uh, mortify the, the sin that is there and that maybe we've been allowing to linger, but that we would be um, not only putting off unrighteousness, but that we would be replacing that and putting on righteousness, that we would be doing those things that are truly pleasing to you and that are loving to our spouses and to our children and to our church around us as well. Thank you for this time. I pray that we would uh, take these things to heart and that um, we'd be ready to put them to action this week too. In Jesus' name, amen.